is its PR Darlings, a podcast all about the dark arts of public relations, publicity and all things media. Networks are running on the smell of an oily rag. They really are. So there's actually an opportunity there for PRs and for spokespersons to actually guide and influence the direction of a story. Join us to explore the world of modern communications and how to build better relationships with media. We almost pulled out um, with the PR because they didn't have any kids lined up to come in at 7am. So I was just going to be in this empty exhibition centre. If you want an insider's look into today's newsrooms, then come along for the ride. We're speaking to all kinds of journalists, producers and industry experts. You see patterns of three right through, right through life. And once you see that pattern of three, you can't unsee it. And our attention span, the attention deficit these days uh, is, is so strong that you need to kind of understand that in terms of coming in and being focused in that media interview. We want public relations professionals to work hand in hand with journalists in a way that builds trust, to deliver quality journalism and stories people love. Visualise that one person sitting at home, eating their dinner, watching the 6pm news. That's the person you're talking to. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm rolling a turd in glitter today. And that's when you've really been given something. <laughs> but I like the glitter. That's very media. Yeah. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. And together, we are your PR darlings. Welcome to It's PR Darlings, the podcast that gives you that extra edge in modern communications and will help you secure great media coverage by peeking behind the lens into the inner workings of journalism. I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And I'm Joe Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. This season, we're giving you some journo tools to help you hack the newsworthy algorithm to create content the media want to publish and follow. We're unpacking the news values journalists use every day, and today's news value is a journo favourite. It's unusual or bizarre. But be warned, that's not always just quirky or fun. It's actually a measure of human interest. So we'll step you through that at the end of the podcast. One of the other things that we like to do is talk to industry experts about elements of their jobs to create practical podcast episodes that help you hone your craft in PR and communications. Today, we're chatting with journalist Jessica Ridley, whose voice and face you'd recognise from national TV reporting roles, news reading gigs and radio live crosses. We've asked Jess onto the podcast for a couple of reasons. One is her years of experience in TV. We're keen to hear her insights into post-COVID television newsrooms in particular, but we also are interested in her experience in media and presentation training, which is a specialised training that all PR, communications and marketing managers should be doing regularly with clients who have to front up to the media. Media and presentation training is actually a whole lot of things all bundled under one umbrella. It is everything from actually practicing what to say to learning tips on how to answer tricky questions, but it's also what to do with your hands, how to stand, what to expect in a media interview. And it can be a one-off session where you stand in front of a large camera with lights actually role-playing an interview or it might be sitting in a room before every interview with your client, workshopping and practicing the answers to likely and potentially difficult questions. 
And it's probably no surprise to hear that people generally hate the sound of their own voice and how they look, especially if they can't put a filter on it. So presentation and media training can be really helpful to get people confident and comfortable and ready for the media spotlight so they can focus on getting their key messages across, the ones that you've written as the PR. Joe and I both offer media training as part of our PR services and one of the things that ex-journalists can be really great at is teaching people to speak with the media because we know what journalists need in an interview. So a quick tip, if you are arranging key spokesperson training, check that the trainer has a background in media. We great both tip. Yeah, we both believe that training and preparing clients before any interview is one of the most vital parts to a successful PR strategy. Now, Jess is no stranger to the microphones and cameras and has recently opened her consultancy, By The Way Media, which also offers training. So it was great to bounce ideas around about how we all like to do it, plus share some tips and ideas about how we can help calm the nerves and get the best out of our clients during media interviews. We all know how important good coverage can be for our roles in PR. So thanks so much for joining us on It's PR Darlings, Jess. Thank you, ladies, for having me. This is fun. Have you ever had an experience as a journalist where you've had an absolute disaster on air with a spokesperson or an organisational business and, you know, where it's just completely gone pear-shaped? Ooh. uh, Look, gosh, there's there's certainly been a lot of interviews that I've walked away from and gone, that was hard work. I would say in live TV, our jobs as journalists requires a bit of vetting with talent beforehand. I was filling in at Today Show uh, just the other week with the airline chaos that we saw at Sydney Airport with everybody trying to leave for Easter and that they wanted they wanted interviews, you know, that word on the street kind of style. So you're pulling people out of those queues 30 or 60 seconds out of your live cross and doing a bit of vetting with them. Hi, can I have a quick chat to you on camera? And just kind of sussing out whether they're going to be, you know, that correct talent or not. So in that case I would say the role of a journalist is to try to mitigate that but certainly we've all seen those train wreck interviews uh, you know particularly with politicians and and sometimes that journalist has a bit of an agenda they've got a bit of a a question they want to get them get them on Uh, but I wouldn't say that that's always the tactic or always the motivation if that makes sense. Yeah and well I did see one the other day um, and it was a fellow we won't I won't obviously name what he was talking about, but it was basically the best views and he couldn't actually name them. He was kind of standing sideways. He wasn't really 100% sure where to look in his live cross Mm. either. And I think like it's just that kind of thing really that um, can really derail an interview, can't it? Oh, totally. And I think you just, I, I more so watch people's interviews and go, oh, gee, that was a missed opportunity. And you and I know they are so rare if you get that chance for a couple of minutes on national television those opportunities are far and few between so you I definitely see a lot of people that could have done with just a little bit of preparation you know some key messages prep as well so that they're going in and they're really clear about what they want to say and their position on the issue also likability sometimes people mm. uh, come across as arrogant or you know not not very warm or nice and totally. they've had their they've had their moment um or on the flip side even just super boring so here they are they've got this platform and it's just a really underwhelming moment for them and missed opportunity yeah. as you say Jess 
And and you see that, you know, with a lot of CEOs and, and people in that C-suite. I mean, we're making television, you know, commercial TV. It's about eyeballs and keeping people entertained and keeping their attention so they don't jump over to the competitor. So we're looking for someone that can break out of that that corporate language and actually appeal to, you know, the mum and dad on the couch. Who And, and sometimes I think that that's part of media training is actually getting them to realise that they're not talking to a boardroom, they're appealing to an audience. And it's just that shift too of like that whole experience of of a press conference and, and being bombarded by questions by journalists. Sometimes you see that spokesperson lose sight of the fact that they're actually not talking to the journalists. This is an opportunity for them to talk to their VIP, their very important person, their customer, their client. Uh, I think Alan Alan Joyce, you know, for all the woes of Qantas, is quite good at that in terms of appealing to to the to the person to the passenger, um, and it, you know we all have an empathy radar at the moment, and there's been a lot of talk around Scott Morrison, the Prime Minister, and you know sometimes trying to be empathetic but kind of not hitting the mark quite. If that makes sense, he gets really, uh, really, he really stumbles when he's trying to appeal and show some emotion. If that makes sense, and he always tends to lean on Jenny and the family for some reason, which we're going just stop. <laughs> I, yeah, think, I think um, work. And I think, then, and I think, think sorry, go, Joe. <laughs> I was, was going to say, I think um, Alan Joyce. It was a surprising misstep that he had mm. the other week when he blamed yeah. everybody being not travel fit, um, and that was what was causing all of those long queues. Absolutely. Obviously, you were there. Yeah. So but, it was a surprise to hear that from him because it that he was speaking. Normally- yeah, he's normally very point. good and he was should yeah. be speaking to his exactly to his VIP well, and he missed that one I think. I, I think that's a great example because you know we all have some uh, it's a great example in the in the sense of we all are expecting perfection all of the time you know on the on the scale of his whole career uh, as the boss of Qantas, I mean, he's he rarely misses the mark. So this one blip, I mean, it is a big blip where he put it on the passengers. Uh, but I, I just think, you know, we can be too risk averse sometimes and, and not say what we think. And that also, you know, in the scheme of the news cycle as well, you you make the news with that stumble and then they move on as well. They, they You do move on. But as a leader, I mean, that can be a monumental stuff up there you know that actually swings the perception off you to to you know and so at that point for that spokesperson in particular yes that was a misstep 100% but for 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 you know the other 98% of people that are speaking to the media that aren't so high in the public eye you know that don't their their organization doesn't impact you know everything that we do on a day-to-day basis it's just a blip on the radar really yeah shame he, we pulled that poor old Alan yeah, no I know he um, in his long career he um <laughs> he was a very steady a pair of hands during the pandemic which was an absolutely dire time for um Qantas and every other airline but what I wanted to also ask is sometimes it can really be make or break if the spokesperson doesn't deliver. You may not go back to that spokesperson if they've struggled in the interview because they make your job harder. So do you tend to start to pick your favourites as a journalist as uh, as to who can deliver the goods? 
Oh, look, you definitely do in terms of positioning. But but I would say, you know, awareness, that the more visible that spokesperson is in terms of their LinkedIn, their, their social media video content themselves, uh, the more visible they are to the media, if that makes sense. So for an example, every Saturday for a, a couple of years there, uh, that I would be working at Channel 7 in the newsroom, I'd be assigned to the real estate story, you know, hot property, um, Super Saturday auctions. So uh, my go-to spokesperson was uh, SQM Research founder Louis Christopher. Now, Louis is just the kind of guy that you would text and say, hey, Louis, I've got to do a story on, you know, clearance rates. Um, can I get an interview with you today? And he'd say, sure, how's 1.30? Come over to my house. He was just available. There was no questions asked. It was just easy. And so for me to have to line up my ducks for that story, I would tend to go to, you know, these three or four agents that just made our lives easier, easy, that gave us good content that were well-rounded, gave us a bird's eye view perspective of, of the issue at hand and weren't too risk averse either in their descriptions, if that makes sense. We're able to articulate, we're able to use stories, you know, um, stories really are your greatest assets. Uh, And that's something that I I always try to illustrate with clients is for media training is, you know, bringing a little bit of that, bringing your key messages to life with examples, anecdotes, illustrations um, to really drive that point home, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. I, I couldn't agree more. You can do so much more with a case study or a, a personal story. Mm. Um, uh, look, what, would I not go back to that person? I mean, I got asked this the other day. Look, we don't always have the luxury as journalists, to be quite honest, uh, in picking and choosing. It's If that's the spokesperson that they're put, putting up and that's the organisation that we need to speak to, well, we're not going to turn them down and say, hey, have you got someone else? To see? Your CEO is a rubbish speaker. We don't always have that luxury, if that makes sense. So I, I wouldn't say that's a hard and fast rule. It definitely, I mean, when you're talking about building relationships and trust with journalists, I think it really helps to have a strong spokesperson that that can, you know, quickly unpack an issue uh, and, and, and also, you know, just translate the key messages that they've been given by their comms team in their own words, if that makes sense, not just reading like a robot. They could actually just interpret that, and 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 that's again something that I try to drill home with media training is we're not trying to. It's not a cookie cutter approach. We don't all have to be, you know, cut of the same cloth. You are you, and we want to see your personality shine. We want to hear the natural intonations in your voice. You know, um, it's not about putting on your pre- presenter voice and you know playing a character. It's about presenting as you, and I think. The more authentic that you can present, the better the outcome is going to be in terms of resonating with your audience. I, I always say of, you need to be a more slightly more polished version of yourself, not just yourself. Yeah, sometimes yeah. That can be bad, and, but and um, not a salesperson either. So finding that authenticity without going into a sales pitch, because that's exactly. quite off-putting. So mm. obviously, that couple of points there. So. Um, being available, being ready to talk, having good key messages and being um, authentic and obviously telling great stories. Any other things that you would really like to see in a spokesperson or what do you see as the main mistakes maybe spokespeople make? Well, I mentioned being robotic and sticking too closely to those key messages and it's very obvious when they're not written for that spokes, that they're not written by that spokesperson. 
uh, not using storytelling and examples enough to illustrate a point because they become your sound bites. They become the pieces that a journalist is going to go, okay, he made a point with this story, you know, that could fill that could fill the SCG 50 times over, you know. Those kind of analogies are, are really helpful and they become the sound bites that a journalist will grab onto. Something sexy, something that stands out from that five-minute slab of an interview. You mentioned darting eye contact as well, you know, not knowing where to look if they're looking at the journalist, they're looking at the camera. But also a big one is rushing through, you know. It's not a race. If I ask you a question, you can take two seconds to pause, to think about what you're going to say before running into that answer. And also when it's a pre-recorded interview, if you feel like you've stuffed up that question, uh, that response, there's no harm in saying, look, hang on, <laughs> I just lost myself there. Do you mind if I have another go at it? And they're going to say, yeah, sure, no worries, because it's a transaction. It's a bit of a dance. The journalist is there to get something from you. You're there to get something from this from this media opportunity. So it's it's re-engineering that experience and, and not coming into it with that fear of being caught out. We're generally not going to run your worst grab, if that makes sense. We're going mm. to look for the pieces that sing, the pieces that that add to the story and the narrative that we're building around that that topic. If they look good, your news bulletin looks good and it's more watchable and engaging for your audience. So it's a win-win. Um do you say would you say that you have I guess a top three list of things that should always be covered before a media Mm. interview you do a lot of this media training what do you like to focus on well really I talk a lot about the rule of three you've probably heard about it and you you may use it yourself in your own media training (laughs) Uh, you know you see patterns of three right through right through life and once you see that pattern of three you can't unsee it you know there's a beginning a middle an end to a story when you're telling your children a story it's the three blind mice or the three you know ducks cross the road or whatever it's it's just a pattern that's based on the psychology that we as humans can only really absorb three to four pieces of information at a time and our attention span the attention deficit these days uh, is is so strong that you need to kind of understand that in terms of coming in and being focused in that media interview. So I say, what are the three points that you really need to make right now in this interview? And then finding ways to make them over and over again in different ways, if that makes sense. Really drilling those three points home. And understand the audience, you know, appeal to them, as I say, not the journalist. Think beyond the journalist and, and visualise that one person sitting at home at their lounge chair, eating their dinner, watching the 6pm news. That's the person you're talking to, you know, not not addressing an entire room of people. You're actually just appealing to that one person down the barrel of a camera lens, particularly for TV. And being conversational, not robotic, uh, That's that, that would really be my key points in our training. Great. Let's let's talk a little bit about preparation. I think this is the myth about a lot of people that media commentators um, are just naturals at the job and they just roll out of bed and they're on the <laughs> airways and they look and sound fantastic because I think everyone can benefit from some prep, even some really experienced media operators. But it's something a lot of PRs overlook with their mm, clients and a absolutely. lot of um, yeah, and a lot of times those media operators also go, "Now nah, I've got this." So, totally. what do you suggest? What well, do you a suggest? Few, that people a few do? things to that. It's funny because some people think that they are better speakers than they actually are, 
you know, particularly in that C-suite. And it takes a little bit of massaging and using the right tactic to just to just to help them prepare a little bit and get into their world. So, so you know, not everyone's got the luxury of having a media advisor come along with them. But a lot of my friends that have left left TV and moved to media government advisory jobs, we talk about this. We talk about, you know, when the Premier Dominic Perrottet, if you're in New South Wales, um, about during the floods, during the, the terrible floods that we saw just recently, and, and I've heard from members of his team that he'll come into that room and there's four or five of his advisors there and they'll say, okay, right, what are we going to talk about today? Yep. And I'll say, well, you run through it. The practice. The two, the two, yeah. yeah, you run through it. You you discuss that. And I think what's happening that I'm seeing on a PR level is that the PR are really PRs are really focused on the they're meeting their KPIs. Yay, we got him on Sky Business. Yay, we got him on 2GB. And and just confirming the, the logistics of it. So hi, you're gonna, you know, do a zoom at 1:30. Um, but there's a missing step in there where it is actually getting on the phone and running through devil's advocate, you know, what could they ask me now? Uh, What's on the periphery of what I want to discuss that they might quiz me on that I'm not well versed on? And that almost requires, you know, an hour at a time um, before an interview, I would say, to, to walk into that situation and feel on top of things because, yeah, you just, it's great to have that opportunity, but if you don't make the most of it, I mean, will you get one again? Who knows? Particularly with live with live TV, you know, you yeah. can, can blow it in those live situations. And the assumption is that that just standing in front of the camera is the first and the most important step. When in fact, it's probably the the hour before, the two hours, the the day Correct. before, when you've all sat in a room and had a bit of a chat about what your key messages might be, and workshop the answers to those tricky ones. I think this is a great time to talk about bridging statements, actually, which is a media training staple, and it's a phrase or a statement that you can use to get you out of a tricky question. And there's been a few gotcha moments in the election where pollies have been asked a question that they don't know the answer to. The gaffes um, and they. The gaffes and they've tried to use bridging statements and one of them was with Adam Bant, the Greens leader. So he was asked a question that the journalist was hoping he didn't know the answer to and he responded, just Google it, mate. And then he replied beautifully about it being a contest of ideas, not random stats, and it was it was fantastic. So you've had a listen the absolute, um, to that reply. Um, master bridging burn, I Oh, say. master bridging burn, yes, absolutely. <laughs> So you've had a listen uh, to that reply and we would like to play that now for our listeners too. Talking of abject fact-checking exercises, you said in the speech that uh, wages growth wasn't going uh, particularly well. What's the current WPI? Well, <laughs> Google it, mate. I mean, <laughs> like, I am, I am sick. If you want to know, if you want to know why people are turning off politics... It's because what happens you know when you have a, an election that increasingly becomes this basic fact-checking exercise between a government that deserves to be turfed out and an opposition that's got no vision, this is what happens. Like, elections should be about a contest of ideas. Politics should be about reaching for the stars and offering a better society. And instead... And instead, there's these questions that are asked about can you tell us this particular stat or can you tell us that particular stat? And those questions are designed to show 
that politicians are somehow out of touch and not representative of everyday people. Well, newsflash, most of the people in Canberra are on six-figure salaries just passing time until they go out and work for their coal and gas corporations and get a six- or seven-figure lobbying job. Do you know what would be a better you way know, of showing... Do you know what would be a better way of showing that politicians are in touch with the need of everyday peoples, it would be passing laws that lift the minimum wage. It would be making dental and mental into Medicare. It would be making sure that we wipe student debt and build affordable houses. And when you've got wages growing at about two and a bit percent and inflation growing at about three and a half percent, that is part of the problem. And I would hope... Can you tell me what you thought of that when you heard it? It's such yeah. a great response, isn't it? Oh, fantastic response. I thought it was very clever and he made some very strong points there. And for for someone that is, you know, not as well recognised by the public, let me tell you, um, word on the street, a lot of people cannot identify this man by a picture. He was really able to make a dent and make some noise and it's been picked up, you know, by by the papers and whatnot and obviously this this journalist from the Financial Review was trying to take that tactic of of catching him out, not knowing not knowing that statistic. But in fact, he ended up weaving it into that whole uh, that whole speech that followed and said it is actually in fact this. So it showed he did know his facts, but he was making the point that we need to move away yeah, from that and fact checking and actually become a contest of ideas instead. Exactly. That's what it should be about. Yeah, so I thought that was the, a fantastic abso- bridging. Absolutely brilliant. I um I have little political um, discussions with a couple of my friends. One is also in comms and one is a therapist. And it's interesting because the two comms people, our first thought was, wow, that's fantastic media training. Whereas the therapist, and this I guess shows how convincing it was, he was, um, thought that he just did an incredible job at responding on his feet. (laughs) Mm, And and you get better as you go. And this is the thing is that you can train and train and train, but you're really not going to learn until you actually give it a shot. When you look at Gladys Berejiklian, our former New South Wales Premier, a fantastic communicator, uh, particularly through COVID with those daily press conferences that, that we all, you know, couldn't, couldn't get away from. Uh, and again, you know, talking to her advisors, even just yesterday, I was talking to one that's that's left and is in corporate comms now and talked about, you know, but go back in those early days, go back to those early ones. And they weren't as as good as as towards the end. You know, she just became super quick on her feet. She wouldn't have needed as much of that risk training prior in terms of key messages and things. She just was a fantastic performer in the, in the heat of the moment. And so, you know, not everybody is going to have that much media going on, but I would say if you don't have a lot of media opportunities, then start looking at ways as an organisation that you can be creating your own content so that you've got that regular presentation training, if that makes sense, because a lot of what we're talking about actually um, merges with presentation training, even for people that aren't media facing uh, leaders it's it's really important to be practicing I think. Um, how do you convince clients that they need a practice or a rehearsal sometimes it can be a little bit awkward especially if they um, are super confident sometimes I suggest um, going through key messages or doing a quick role play um, mm. and then I, I'll record it and send it back to them in a link so that they can listen to it and that's my subtle way of I guess saying you know 
listen listen to yourself because even if you are confident listening to yourself recorded can actually trigger your own inner critic which is actually a good thing to do while you're preparing well i think it's it's something that i'm talking a lot to our pr clients about because i kind of am contracted by a lot of prs to come in and do the media training and it actually creates a little bit of a buffer between you know the pr and your Ah, client because that's an ongoing relationship that you've got sometimes you need a bit of a circuit breaker somebody that's in the middle that can play devil's advocate that can play you know good cop bad cop a little bit with them that's not going to impact your ongoing relationship if they're like your super client on retainer and things it's like someone coming in but but it is also a trust thing and particularly with the chairmans and the ceos you know to come into their it, it, it takes a while to get into that that inner circle where they they feel that they can actually trust trust you and take your advice on on the direction. And I think when you're in that level of as a as a director as a leader, you sometimes don't look for that outside help or that outside perspective of perception and optics around what you're about to say. So. I guess it's just a bit of a massaging, you know, uh, by the PR to really, you know, show the value in media training because, I mean, we get asked to do, you know, a half-day session with a group of a group of leaders or whatnot and that might happen, you know, once every 12 months and, and that could be a luxury for some organisations that don't don't have that spend to do that. But I think that having someone on call for those moments, listen, we've got x and x going on sky business um tomorrow at three could you jump on the phone with them for an hour and just thrash it out beforehand that can be a really you know fantastic way of doing media training that's actually putting into practice putting it into practice in real time and real life if that makes sense yeah i agree with you there jess because i have seen media training done in this sort of um I guess, quite uh, aspirational way where you're sort of there looking and thinking these people are never in real life ever going to be put in this situation. Whereas if you've got a real case scenario and you can really get in and workshop the nitty-gritty and put that into practice immediately, that is actually to me the most practical um, media training rather than, I guess, dealing in the sort of lofty, um, media training that will never really happen for them. We actually ask them to bring a scenario to us and we actually practice it. So we'll often sign non-disclosure agreements while we're doing the media training and right. we'll delete all everything before we leave so that they can actually practice a potential real-life scenario or talk about a case that they're actually working on. I think that does help too if, you, um, if it's a topic that you're actually really aware of Absolutely. and across. Absolutely. And then on the back of that pre-planning, there's the post debrief, you know, that post debrief of, of actually playing back that interview or playing back that 10 second grab that was included in the Channel 7 news that night and talking about why that journalist selected that grab in particular, because I think, I think the post interview is really interesting when you hear from the spokespersons they go oh gee all that for that (laughs) all that for that 10 seconds why did they pick that piece (laughs) why did they pick that piece why didn't they you know why didn't they explain this and and so to actually talk them through that process too is really helpful I think 
And it's often when they're actually the most passionate and engaged that that, is, that becomes the grab. So they're at their most authentic. And for them, they might be seeing that as the moment that they lost control. But that's actually the media gold. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and one of the things we always uh, talk about is ritual and versus routine. So, you know, a ritual is thinking your interview is going to completely fail if you're not wearing your red socks but um but routines a set of actions to prepare so um really kind of getting your head in the game as the saying goes so it might be that you uh have a set routine where you clear 15 minutes before every interview so you can renew your notes you take some deep breaths switch off notifications silence your phone maybe go to the loo check your hair check your teeth um you know is there anything in a routine that you like to suggest to keep to really help people get their head in the oh, game. Oh, look, all all of the above for sure. I guess I do this in a in a micro amount of time when I do live TV for for Channel Nine. I still do a weekly piece for Today Extra on the couch, unpacking the latest news, uh, and still do you know live crosses as well. And at that point, you do have to switch off your phone. You just have to. There's a bit of positive self talk as well. Um, because your mind can be playing tricks on you, you know, that you're not going to remember that that's st- statistic that you you need to rattle off, that you're going to get some, mispronounce someone's name, you know, and so you need to almost have some positive self-talk in that moment. Like, I am the best person for this right now. I'm the best person to communicate this message right now. And so there's a little bit of that that I would weave into that preparation in terms of just having a statement that that you can just tell yourself for that confidence building and just to to forget about your minders forget about everybody you know that's been involved in this process try to yeah take those breaths and forget the logistics and the the uber ride there that you know went around the wrong way and just try to be in the moment at that point and and as i said before picturing just that one person on their couch that you are trying to talk to. That is really, um, really important in terms of centering yourself for that moment. I think too, it's all about preparation to calm the nerves. I often Mm. say, it's not my own original thing, but um, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And I feel like media interviews are very much like that. Do you have any um do you have any tips on controlling nerves for me sometimes if I'm feeling really nervous and you you don't always know when you're going to get nervous and sometimes you get nervous unexpectedly um I actually did this um ahead of our big interview with Trent Dalton I I got a case of the nerves <laughs> but <laughs> as you do um but but I find for me if I just actually particularly when you can do this when you're not being recorded or you're off camera you just disclose the, for me, if I say, oh my gosh, I'm so nervous, the moment I've done that, it actually makes me feel like I'm not in this battle of trying to then hide my nerves and mm. and then I'm no longer nervous. But do you have any tips like that that you maybe sometimes share with your clients? Yeah, I think that's I think that's really good in terms of just acknowledging it because the journalist's job and the camera operator's job in that moment is to try to put you at ease in that situation. It can be a really confronting situation if you haven't done a lot of interviews particularly when it's in a live format so nerves uh, nerves are good and you can re-engineer them as adrenaline to kind of propel you through the interview but it can also of course inhibit you if you don't get on top of them I uh one that you know you can never 
discount the value of having some water on you. I learned because I was doing morning TV so early, sometimes I'd run out of the house without having had a glass of water. And I found it actually physically impossible to talk for a minute straight without clearing my throat. And so I, I workshopped this actually years ago with a with a, um, a voice trainer who gave me the tip of, because she said it was actually my throat drying out was actually how my nerves were showing, revealing themselves, if that makes sense. Like I, I don't shake, I don't, I, it was just my whole throat just was drying out. So she, she said to me, before you go on air, have a big sip of water and just hold it in your mouth for 10 seconds and then just let it trickle down your throat really slowly without like sculling it back, if that makes sense. And I don't know, I just, I've always held on to that for many years. That just having water handy, making sure you have a sip um, is, is a tip that I use for, for I, I've got a glass right here in my little recording booth. And <laughs> if I don't, I actually call myself a dehydrophobe. If I don't have water, I will then fixate on the fact I don't have water. And it's almost like I can't function. So absolutely, I'm so relating to what you're saying. Yeah, and I, I guess it's just how nerves present themselves, mm-hmm. you know, and so that can be a really customised thing. I mean, some people, it's it's obvious that they're nervous because they're swinging around in their chair or they're, or they're holding onto a necklace, you know, and they're just the things, the nonverbal cues that I get as a journalist that they're, sorry, I've just hit my microphone there, bad, bad one on me, um, that, okay. that they are not feeling comfortable in that situation. So I need to help them if that makes sense. So it's just being and aware of, it, of, yeah. of, even being like emotionally triggered easily mm. is it form mm. of, you know, becoming defensive. That's, that's actually taking yourself out of your sort of true authentic state. And that can be a manifestation of nerves too. Completely. And sometimes journalists are looking for an emotional reaction. You know, they're trying to get some humanity out of you and they're trying to get a reaction really yeah Yeah. I mean (laughs) rarely rarely unless it's you know I don't want to say it but like a a case study of you know someone that's lost their house or you're wanting to actually get that emotion out of them to appeal to the audience that this is a really dire situation uh, but I mean, day to day, we're rarely pushing for tears, if that makes sense. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But you want, I, I you want a reaction. Yeah. Yes, you want a reaction. And as you say, if someone starts to look defensive or look like they've got something to hide, well, that that can then be the piece that's picked in that story, and then that can really backfire for for you as a you know as a media opportunity because it becomes reputational damage uh, in the sense of and I'm very aware of that as a journalist over many years that my words can really and have influenced the the perception of a brand or of an organization and you're generally in news you're generally dealing with businesses at their worst moments if that makes sense yeah Um, rarely highlighting Rarely highlighting the successes um, in 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 TV news. We're generally following, you know, the court cases, um, the the liquidations, the, the mishaps. Correct. The, that's the news that's, value of conflict. Listen back to our previous episodes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think one of the things that I'm I like to talk about for 
the, the prep. And one of the things that I think also brings on nerves is not actually knowing what the situation's going to be mm. like. So mm. actually doing the media training and being in front of the camera, it gets you into what is your new comfort zone. So you're in front of the cameras, you've seen the lights, but it's things like lapel mics, for example, are really, really awkward if you have a dress on because it needs to have a little transmitter that goes from your lapel on your collar down to something. So if you've got a dress, it'll have to be connected to your bra strap in the back or you'll have to hold on to it and it just makes another sort of awkward moment so wearing a pair of pants or something a skirt and a top so you've got a opportunity to click that transmitter onto your belt for example is is then that's done it's out of your mm. mind and you don't have to think about that again you don't have to worry about that and you can move on to focus onto your interview itself so I think preparing that way as well is a really good thing Look, we, we're just and loving also, this chat. I think there's so many things. Oh, you've got something else you want to add? <laughs> I was just going to say also a little bit of small talk at the start doesn't hurt to mm. break the ice and, and to get up. a bit of information from the journalists and the camera crew because you might have been briefed only so much. So if you're walking in there going, hi, um, what's your name? Oh, great. Where have you just been? Cool. Uh, is this, uh, so I understand, is this live or, oh, it's pre-recorded. Great. And are you shooting for for yourself or oh no we're actually shooting we're pooling with sky today oh great what do you actually want me to say what do, what do you want from me you might actually oh, get the journalist yeah. saying well we just wanted to get your reaction to you know the latest interest rate announcement and uh, I mean just tell us how that's going to affect your you know do you think that's that's going to see a lot of people shift banks or you know and so they can then you're then getting a bit of intel from them about oh okay that's the direction that they want to take am I comfortable with that cool okay that's how I'm going to formulate my grab and so that can put you put your mind at ease a little bit in that moment is you're actually garnering a little bit of information from that journalist and camera crew as to what they want. I mean, they're on limited time. And and I, I don't know if you want to touch on this, but the lack of resources nowadays, you know, is one of the biggest challenges um, of the job now is, is where networks are running on the smell of an oily rag. They really are. And so you're being thrown around, you know, from one interview to the next with very little time. Sometimes you're not even really across the topic that you're, mm-hmm. that you're there to interview and you're just making questions up on the fly and, and going to figure, figure out what your story is about later. So there's actually an opportunity there for PRs and for spokespersons to actually guide and influence the direction of a story, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Joe, Joe and I, we, yeah, wanna, we see this all um, the time. Um, I had an instance just a couple of weeks ago where the first journalist who turned up to the media um, press conference, it wasn't a pick, pick up that I'd organised, um, she hadn't received the media release. So I was able to just, you know, <laughs> send that send that via my phone so that she had it. And very then, um, yeah, you're yeah, very normal. So this happens in PR sometimes don't realise that the person who has shown up hasn't actually had the full brief that has been emailed. So it <laughs> might be the they might be the sports journo on the way yes. to a different story and they've yeah. been pulled into a lifestyle. Yeah. Exactly. Yep. And and then that that um story required a second location. She was planning on going, but of course got um, you know, held up doing something else throughout the day. So then a second journalist turned up with a second camera operator. They didn't have the continuity of the story. And so there's a real opportunity as the PR person to actually then bridge that gap of knowledge and then absolutely you know, pick up with that relationship, answer any questions, pre-brief them on what happened. Don't just assume that they're going to have the luxury of time 
to <laughs> to ruminate and um and and research um, Plan and, and actually, think yeah really help and and be aware of these resource restrictions and isn't it funny because you know you guys have been planning this story and this opportunity for months oh and, yeah and that spokesperson has been kept up at night you know worrying about it and then totally. little did they know this journalist that's been sent there has absolutely no idea of the story <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know? so it is good to to yeah. understand those dynamics that are you know rampant at the moment um you know and, and I mentioned yeah and not to be annoyed by it you know not to mm. be annoyed to actually be empathetic to the journalist the poor journalist that's shown up and and, you know, in the 15 minutes that they're there, they're going to try and capture this entire story with the microphone. It's it's a big ask. It's a massive it's, ask. Well, we actually, yeah. we did, we were loving the um, media training chat and we did want to switch that to your job as a journalist. So this is perfect timing to talk about this because you're still working for a l- large national outlets like today after years on the road with Sunrise. So we can tell that resources are really incredibly stretched. What do you see has been the biggest change in the last, well, I'd like to say a decade, but fr- quite frankly, it's really just changed completely in the last two years, hasn't oh, it? Oh, that's right. Look, the sure. media landscape is changing minute by minute you know I think at the start of the pandemic we saw media newsrooms retract and there were so many jobs lost and so you know sadly regional you know stations closed and everything has just become you know whatever's coming from metro is is going and it's sad that because there's there's really important stories in some of those rural and remote communities that mm-hmm. just are not the resources for anymore um COVID has definitely you know taken the wind out of the sail like it's been I would say some of my journalist friends that have been covering it have whether they realize it or not have some form of PTSD a lot of them have had to take time out and just because it's just been you know like a tsunami and and you're you're running you're as a journalist you're generally you know running into situations and environments that everybody's being told to get out of if that makes sense so I can tell you right now that, that the number of journalists assigned to the 6pm news has probably halved in the space of 18 wow. months. So when That's I was, at, yeah, and when I was at seven, you know, 18 months ago, there'd be 11 to 12 journalists assigned and maybe 15 to 16 cameras during the week, the weekend bulletin. There would be maybe four reporters if we were lucky and maybe six cameras. And now I'm hearing that it's almost like you're lucky if you get three on a weekend and three cameras and they're still fulfilling a, an hour bulletin. So Well, that's right. It's it's a longer bulletin than it's ever been mm. as well that and they've so, got to fill. Um, so <clears> we <throat> ask what everybody that comes on the show uh, who's a journo what some of your pet peeves are when it comes mm. to getting pictures. So what are yours? I would say as a TV journalist, you know, when there hasn't been any thought as to visual opportunities, you know, so you can send me your new consumer data report or a new survey that you've commissioned. But, I mean, if you haven't put any thought into a case study that illustrates this for us, a spokesperson and their availability, um, any, any assisting visuals, it makes it really hard for us to... To, to put that together, if that makes sense. It, it makes it hard to get that across a line. 
And so then we start talking, I mean, it might sound crass, but one term we use between us journos some days is, oh, yeah, I'm I'm rolling a turd in glitter today. And that's when you've really been given something. (laughs) Polishing a turd, but I like the glitter. That's very media. Yeah, glitter. (laughs) Actually, I have to give that to Gabrielle Boyle from Today's Show. That was her term (laughs) that I, I like to steal every so often. But it's true, you know, it's like, yeah, great. Okay, it's a great, it's great a survey, but like how do I make this stack up for TV? And then when you're calling the PR, it becomes this afterthought, like, hey, have you got a mum and 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 school, you know, have you got a mum and kid that we can speak to at their home? And then it's like, oh, let me let me just call around. And then three hours later, you know, they're like, oh yeah, they could do it at 4:30 when they get home. And it's like, well, hello, our bulletin's on at six. You know, it's like it's mm-hmm. it's an afterthought. Way. So mm. I would say that would really be the annoying one because the chief of staff's expectations of that story, they've already gone, ah, I like that. Okay, cool. Jess, you do this. And then you've got to then go back and tell them the bad news. Hey, there's no pictures to this. Like, it's just not going to happen. So I would say that's the pet peeve. I would also say, you know, those media distribution lists, um, a lot of them don't, you know, get cited by the journalists, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, and you, uh, particularly when everyone and their dog has been CC'd in, it's just I would blind copy people, and I would. Uh, I also always think a personalized pitch is going to be far better than you know a copy paste to to everybody, just so that you can tell your client that you've pitched it to everybody. If that the makes spray, sense, the spray and pray approach. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't work, and you know, and just keep trying to keep tabs on your media contacts too to understand where they are like for instance the other day I bumped into an old colleague of mine at channel 7 and I assumed he was on the consumer round still and he said oh no no I've been covering COVID for for two years and so he was he was running the consumer round he was a promos producer and I thought oh well he's I could pitch him a consumer story you know so trying to actually build relationship with journalists I think as well and 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 show that you understand their their round or you understand that you've watched their last story look I watched a story last night you know just actually yeah just just appealing to them on a personal level because they're going to go and advocate for your story through the the newsroom structure as well you know there's gatekeepers in there that they've got to then go in and advocate for your story you you do a lot of live television what makes the best live tv can you run us through some of the elements that prs should keep in mind oh uh pictures so so i've filled in a couple of times for weekend today show weather which has been really fun and you know um that's a great opportunity if you've got i don't know a client that's got an adventure park or got a exhibition happening at an art gallery uh, where, but again, to make that work, it can only be as good as the people involved in it, if that makes sense. So for for weather, so for my friend Sam Mack, who's a weather presenter at, at Sunrise or Tim Davies at, at Today Show, what really makes that live TV piece sing is the people and the characters that are placed in there. So we had you know, an exhibition that they wanted me to cover for weather on a, on a Sunday and we almost pulled out. Um, with the PR because they didn't have any kids lined up to come in at 7am. So I was just going to be in this empty exhibition centre with a couple of great, you know, pieces of art or, or installations, but no one there, you know, no one there to show the experience of it, nobody to talk to. So so people for live TV, 
uh, is is really good. And we love, you know, the quirky, the the out of the norm, you know. And and if you've got something like that, highlight that in your pitch. You know, we've got uh, the spokesperson's got this wild, crazy, curly orange hair. They dress extroverted. You know, they're a, a bit of a laugh. You know, just appeal. If particularly if you're dealing with the weather present, the weather producer giving them some, showing them that you you understand that they are trying to make entertainment, if that makes sense. Mm. What about, um, you do a lot of live crosses. What about, what, what can PR do for a live cross to help you? So I'm thinking, for example, I would try and make sure it wasn't in a massively windy spot. <laughs> so you have got crazy hair and, you know, wind noise and getting blown oh, away. Look, well, I mean, yes, I do a, a lot of live TV generally again we don't get the luxury of of planning it's generally just news of the day but you know if if the PR is involved in that I mean just a basic amenities like there's been many a day where I'm using a McDonald's toilet or <laughs> having a coffee for three <laughs> hours because we're you know we're stuck in a gutter somewhere an hour out of the city so just again you know if you're coming out just asking if the crew wants a coffee you know just little things like that can just make the journalist's job easier that day if that makes sense. Jess thank you so much for today that's just amazing we've loved hearing from both sides um, so good. from you yeah so good so thank oh, you so pleasure. much. Before we go can you please let us um, let our listeners know how they can contact you and how um, by the way media works nationally doesn't it yeah yeah get in touch so so by the way media i mean we're specializing in video production so you know content social content vnrs as well as we talked about which is that video Video news release release or or the visuals that you'd attach to your media release and we're offering you know that quick turnaround even same day priority turnaround if you're needing that same day we're working with camera operators that have come straight out of newsroom so they get that speed and that I guess is our difference in the market at the moment I don't think anyone wants to wait three weeks to three months to get video no. back. it should be yeah. fast and it should be it should be consistent and constant um, you can head to our website which is btwmedia.com.au um, send me an email I'm happy to happy to happy to help Thanks so much for joining us, Jess. You're welcome. Thanks Thanks for having me on the show. As always, we love to break down some part of the media process each episode. This season, we've been looking at the news values that journalists are taught at university. These values inform how they deal with topics and measure newsworthiness. On the flip side, or should we say the dark side, (laughs) these (laughs) values can help you in public relations to create content that'll be interesting to journalists and you can hack some of the skills that help media deliver compelling stories that people really want to read. We've covered conflict and proximity during our episodes with Ollie from news.com.au and Amrita from Medianet. This time we're looking at the bizarre or sometimes it's called the unusual news value. Some might put this in the category of quirky but it's not always cute and quirky. It can also be a story with a twist or a story that is unusual and interesting. Now the classic journalism university lecture on this is the difference between the dog bites man story versus the man bites 
dog story. What a classic. Classic. (laughs) Absolute classic. So dog bites man, nothing unusual about that. Probably happens every day, but the man bites dog story. What? Now that's interesting. Why did he bite it? What was he thinking? How is the dog? Could I bring myself to bite back if I was in that situation? There's a whole lot of other questions that come to mind. There's also nuance in this. A dog biting a child would be of more interest. A man being savaged by a pack of dogs also has more interest. A series of dog bites or attacks at a popular beach is also even more interesting. So you're looking for a story that takes the everyday mundane to the next level, something that happens rarely, infrequently, unexpectedly. Some examples from headlines just this week include Shark's dramatic rescue from beach. Ferrari designer reveals electric scooter. Go off the grid in style in Mudgee, which is a tiny regional town better known for mining, also wine. Also wine. Uh, The other one was brutal pit bull attack caught on CCTV. Now that's technically dog bites woman in this case, Um, but it's unusual because it's on camera and the footage is pretty harrowing. Another way to look at this might be a story about aeroplanes. Imagine the headline, hundreds of planes take off and land safely today. Well, that might have been unusual 100 years ago, but it's pretty straightforward today. The headline is more likely to be mid-air wedding proposal, miracle crash landing survival, or doctor uses airline cutlery to save teen's life. I think that's my personal favourite, Joe. In <laughs> modern terms, we might dismissively call these kinds of stories clickbait or viral stories. But these are stories that spark interest, something that a reader or viewer isn't expecting and wants to know more about. This is highly valued by journalists and you can really up your bizarre value by including a case study that is an example of the unusual in a situation or story that you want to promote. You shouldn't overlook the newsworthiness of bizarre or write it off as lowbrow. You can still deliver really important messages in a story that's wrapped up with the unusual. Perhaps it's about data on poor dog training, how to administer first aid in a bite, or how to save a life if someone's attacked. All good key messages to get across. So this has been another episode of It's PR Darlings. If you want to know more about pitching stories to the number one breakfast television show, then listen to our podcast with ABC's Lisa Miller. If you want national coverage, AAP's editor Andrew Drummond has tips on what makes the Australian wire service. And don't miss Sunrise reporter Tamara Bowe's interview about how not to handle crisis communications. I'm Jo Stone from Sticks and Stones PR. And I'm Greer Quinn from Forward Communications. And together, we are your PR darlings. <laughs>